0: Chapter 22 of the Dawn of Medieval Europe, 476 to 918, by J. H. B. Masterman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. The Reign of Louis the Pious, 814 to 840. The death of both Charles's elder sons during his lifetime averted for a time the partition of his empire, and his surviving son louis the pious succeeded without dispute to the throne of his father almost the last act of charles's life had been the nomination of louis as his successor at a great gathering of the nobles at aachen as soon therefore as the news of the emperor's death reached him in Aquitaine, louis set out for aachen and there celebrated his accession by taking the imperial crown from the altar of the cathedral and crowning himself as emperor an act of independence of which the Pope was likely to disapprove. Louis had for many years ruled in Aquitaine with almost unchecked authority. Though his court there was reputed, in Francia, to be more like a monastery than a court, he had proved himself an effective ruler, and with the help of the Count of Toulouse had carried on vigorous war against the Spanish frontier but while he had acquired the culture and refinement of southern gaul a refinement that earned for him in later times the name of louis le debonnaire he had lost much of the virility and self-reliance of the sterner northern lands that were the cradle of his race there was a certain weak obstinacy in his character that was destined much more than his religious enthusiasm to prove fatal to his success his first work was the reform of the court which in the later years of his father had grown corrupt and dissolute he dismissed his father's ministers in favour of those he had brought with him from aquitaine and sent his sisters into convents the influence of his new advisers and of his wife hermengarda was resented by the frankish nobles among whom discontent soon began to grow up this was fostered by the new monarch's ecclesiastical policy his efforts were directed to the improvement of the lives of the clergy especially by checking the tendency to secularisation that already began to show itself among the non monastic clergy he granted to most of the monasteries of the kingdom the right to hold their lands free of all condition except that they would pray for the welfare of the emperor and empire this meant that large tracts of land became immune from the obligation of military service and the strength of the empire was proportionally weakened when soon after louis's accession pope leo died his successor stephen was consecrated without the imperial sanction not only did louis accept this without protest he also allowed the pope to visit Reims and there re-crown him as emperor thus implying that his previous coronation was irregular as lacking the sanction of the ecclesiastical authority in the following year eight seventeen an accident that nearly cost louis his life gave a morbid turn to his thoughts and led him in view of the uncertainty of life to make provision for the contingency of his death by arranging a partition of the empire between his three sons the oldest of whom lothaire was now about nineteen years of age the division followed the lines of charles's earlier arrangements Lothair shared with his father the imperial dignity ruling the old frankish lands and the italian kingdom while aquitaine fell to pippin and bavaria to the youngest louis the two younger brothers were to recognize their brother's authority and to pay visits of ceremony to him from time to time this partition of aachen raised one difficult question ever since the death of king pippin his son bernhard had been ruling in italy with almost independent authority and with conspicuous success the young king seeing in this partition a scheme for ousting him from his inheritance rose in rebellion the event that followed was destined to cast a lasting shadow of disgrace and remorse over the reign of louis enticed into negotiation Bernhard was induced trusting to an imperial safe-conduct to cross the alps and appear at chalon sur sonne there he was arrested sent to aachen tried as a rebel and sentenced to death louis commuted the sentence to blinding but the sentence was carried out with such brutality that Bernhard died within a few months of this event hermengarde died and her death was regarded by the king as a divine punishment for his treatment of bernhard he sank into a condition of profound melancholy and bitter remorse and talked of retiring to expiate his sin in a monastery to rouse him from this state his ecclesiastics persuaded him to marry again he selected as his new consort judith daughter of count welf of altdorp judith was a beautiful able and ambitious woman who soon acquired complete mastery over the unstable mind of her husband in 822 her son charles the bald was born and with him begins the break-up of the carolingian empire soon after the birth of his son louis again plunged into melancholy and self-reproach unwisely recalled the ministers whom he had banished at the beginning of his reign and set free those who were imprisoned for their share in Bernhard's rising not content with thus surrounding himself with implacable enemies he determined to do public penance at attigny near soissons for his real and supposed sins the public self-abasement of the emperor who subjected himself to the most humiliating penances alienated from him the frankish nobles who had been accustomed to the rough-hardiness and masterful rule of his father the loyalty of the franks to their sovereign was already undermined when a fatal step let loose the dogs of war and plunged the empire into fifty years of contest in 829 when charles the bald was seven years old the emperor determined to provide him with a kingdom he therefore announced at a great council at worms that he proposed to make the duchy of allemagne into a kingdom for his youngest son the emperor's second marriage had been resented by his sons and judith had apparently become unpopular throughout the empire the new scheme therefore drew together all the discontented elements in the realm and a great rising was organised while louis was engaged in subduing a rebellion in brittany pippin of aquitaine marched on paris and rallied the nobles of neustria while Lothair crossed the alps at the head of a great army of lombards hemmed in at Compiegne, louis was obliged to surrender and imprisoned by his sons while judith was forced to take the veil at poitiers next summer a great gathering was summoned at niemehen where the austrasian nobles loyal still to the emperor appeared in such strong force that lothair was glad to make peace and to appeal for the forgiveness that louis was only too willing to grant but the interval of peace was of short duration in 832 the war blazed out again and this time all three brothers joined against their father louis reply was to declare pippin and louis deposed and to add aquitaine to the lands allotted to charles the bald but while the emperor gathered forces to enforce this new partition lothaire who throughout these contests showed himself the most violent and unscrupulous of the brothers led a great army from italy bringing with him pope gregory the fourth who was completely devoted to his interests it was on the celebrated lugenfeld field of lies that the armies met to avert open conflict louis agreed to negotiate with his sons and while the pope went to and fro in the guise of a mediator the loyalty of louis army was undermined by secret intrigues so that it rapidly melted away at last louis found himself completely deserted and with his wife and child was once more compelled to surrender to his sons judith was again consigned to conventual life and the emperor to prison while little charles protected by his youth was sent to the monastery of prume. Louis, cut off from all intelligence about wife or child, was in a pitiable state of misery and helplessness. He was at length dragged from prison before a council of ecclesiastics at Compiègne, and there compelled to read a long and humiliating confession of sin and incompetency, and submit to public degradation but this humiliation produced a reaction. The loyalty of northern Germany to the son of their great king was aroused by the spectacle, and a great Saxon and Austrasian army marched against Lothair, who was compelled to flee across the Alps, where many of the leaders of the rebellion who accompanied his army in its flight fell victims to a pestilence that men regarded as the vengeance of heaven. Yet Louis's infatuation still persisted, no sooner was peace restored than at a council at crmieux near lyons he proposed a new partition by which lothaire was to be deprived of all his lands except italy and the confiscated territories added to the dominions of charles war was averted for the moment by a great danish raid on the rhine but when this was passed louis assembled a council at aachen in 837 and there crowned his youngest son as king not only of the lands already promised to him, but also of some lands that were in the dominions of Louis of Bavaria. Just at this crisis Pippin of Aquitaine died, and Louis put the coping-stone to his folly by ignoring the children of the late king and transferring Aquitaine also to Charles. To this the Aquitanians replied by proclaiming, Pippin, eldest son of their late king, as ruler of Aquitaine. In 839 war flared up in every part of the empire. But now Louis succeeded in buying the support of his eldest son, by promising him all the provinces of the empire except Neustria and Aquitaine, which he reserved for Charles. With unexpected vigour, the emperor himself drove young Pippin and Louis out of their dominions. But the campaign was too much for his enfeebled health and in the summer of eight forty he died his reign of twenty-five years had been disastrous for the empire by his self-abasement he had undermined the respect of the nobles for the imperial office while he had encouraged the pretensions of the great ecclesiastics in a way that was dangerous to the welfare of the state his rather morbid piety and narrow culture were ill-suited to the needs of a rough and iron age In his personal character, he seems a weaker Edward the Confessor. In his struggles with his sons, he reminds us of our own Henry II, while in his alternations of imprisonment and restoration, and in his subservience to a wife fighting for the rights of her son, he resembles the last Lancastrian king, Henry VI. End of chapter 22.